0: What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 151 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with my friend Gil. Gil is an expat living in Vietnam. Gil is somebody I met when I was living in Nicaragua, who was just such a gentle, kind soul and somebody I was really able to talk to about my online endeavors, because Gil was doing the same thing, working as an online entrepreneur, an online businessman, just trying to be a digital man, making ends work, but not really finding what he was looking for in Nicaragua. So fast forward a year. I reconnected with Gil, and our conversation just was amazing. It went on for at least two hours. So just be aware of that. Throughout this episode, we kind of go through Gil's past to where he is presently right now in Vietnam. Gil grew up on a kibbutz in Israel, which is a small agricultural commune, if you will, um, where people live together and share everything. And as you'll hear, Gil didn't ever use money until he was older. Um, so life for Gill started in a way that a lot of us in the Western world understand the world to work a lot later in life. So Gil's been out searching for a way of life that represents him, his belief systems, the way he views the world and his desire to explore himself more deeply and understand what he's about, where he comes from and how he wants to continue on into the future. Which is why instead of breaking this into a two-part episode, I had originally thought about that, and Gil and I talked about that a little bit on the episode, which you'll hear, but I felt like it was very important just to leave it going so you could really track Gil's progression, Gil's lifestyle design, and how he finds himself now in this very unique situation in Vietnam. It's comparable in a lot of ways to what I found in Nicaragua when I first arrived there, and... Very few people were coming to Nicaragua at that point in time, and the little village we lived in, we were at the forefront of a movement that was about to happen, but being some of the first people on the ground in this little village, I got to watch the transition of the environment, and it's a very special time for me, and that's why I really connected with Gil's story, and he's connected with this really interesting, seemingly very eccentric artist in Vietnam called Doan Khan. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but this guy's been written up in the Wall Street Journal, and there's a documentary out on him called Artist Police. I'll put all these really interesting aspects of Gil's life and where Gil's at presently in the show notes. So be sure to check all of them out because it's really fascinating. And if you're somebody who finds Gil's story, interesting and you connect with where he's at in life and you're an artist or you're into transformational retreats that Gil talks about that he's kind of stepping into now with this this artist who has founded this sort of commune if you will or environment that people can come express themselves in any way they want and Gil's really at the forefront of helping him spearhead that aspect of this valley that he has created into this like living piece of art because he's a living piece of art as well the guy is just always on as an artist you can't tell the difference between his performance and who he is anymore it sounds like just through the research i did after speaking to gil dalan khan has just become the work of art and created a space within this valley outside of hanoi that allows anybody to come express themselves in the same way which i think is what gil is really connected with and wanting to share with anybody who's interested in coming out and participating in some of these retreats that he'll be co-hosting with some very powerful, unique people around the world. So again, the episode ran a little bit longer than normal. Normally, we're doing about 45 minutes to an hour. Gil and I spoke for almost two hours. I highly recommend you stick around for the whole episode. Gil's life is very interesting, and where he finds himself today in Vietnam is also incredibly interesting. So with that said, if you're a first-time listener, please be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening to Misfits and Rejects on, Spotify, iTunes, any third-party podcast player. Please make sure you just hit that subscribe button so you can get notified of any other episodes that are coming out. I post every Monday at 9 a.m. and have a lot more great episodes coming at you next Monday and the Mondays that follow. So again, thank you for listening. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. With my friend Gil. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Kruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and
1: too many bad attitudes.
0: And quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it, it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I am joined by my old friend Gil from Nicaragua. He's in Vietnam. I'm in California. We've happened to connect for this episode and I'm super psyched to have him and welcome to his episode of Misfits and Rejects. Gil, welcome to the show. Hi Chapin.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Wow. That's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, we haven't really spoken in the last, what, year or two. You left me in Nicaragua to go back to Israel. Um, we've reconnected, and uh, now you're on Misfits and Rejects, man. It's good to hear your voice. Yes,
1: it's good to hear your voice, too.
0: Yeah, dude, you were actually very instrumental in a lot of things for me in my online journey. You were somebody I kind of leaned on in Gigante because you were the only one, actually, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, um, who kind of understood where I was at because you were a digital nomad, you were actually a digital nomad who was making money, you were viable with what you were doing. And uh, somebody I could just really open up to about my online venture and the problems that I was having. So I always really appreciated our conversations, dude.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciated them as well. And I feel like I learned a ton and you know, anything I said, I didn't know what I was talking
0: about, of course. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, dude. I think that you have a very uh, keen understanding of the way the internet world and what – what. remind me of the business that you were doing. What were you doing, like social media marketing or marketing or –
1: Back then. Yeah. So back then, the, I, I was working actually for a friend of a friend who became a friend himself through work. He had a digital agency based in Colorado. And he uh, he employed me pretty much. And I uh, I was a project manager, um, managing uh, people in the Philippines, actually, who were doing a lot of the technical work. Then I was doing some of the technical work and then anything else, digital marketing, let it be social media, copywriting, uh, you know, just anything working with Amazon for some clients, whatever, anything.
0: Interesting, yeah. I mean and that was you were you were a legit digital nomad, you nomad, you were living in Gigante, Nicaragua. You were working what, you know, your six to eight hours a day, um on the beach in your board shorts and then coming out to the bars at night. I mean you were you were living the dream, my friend. Would you agree would you agree?
1: <laughs> Wait, once I stop laughing I might think about it. So uh, <laughs> it was yeah. It had all the the potential, like it was a dream in many ways, but it had a lot of hardships about it. I still was learning mostly a lot about myself and about what it means to be outside and in Nicaragua without the support of any of the structures
0: that I was used to in my life interesting do you mind talking a little bit more about that because i think this is something a lot of the audience members struggle with which is uh that that structure that support network that is so comfortable and safe and leaving it is terrifying whether it's a job whether it's you know a state whether it's america itself to go traveling what were those structures for you and 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 yeah what were you confronted by
1: it was everything it was um my roommates who were my best friends at the time in boston uh in Boston, I went from university straight to like, kind of corporate jobs. So that's a support, you know, it's weird to say it, but it is a support structure, you know, they'll check on you. They make sure you have to be where you have to be and stuff like that. So yeah, so what, what happened is, um, I work was difficult for me because I'm not a good solo worker. Um, I am a good solo worker in terms of, like, I don't mind working alone, but I have to be with the clients, with the customers. I thrive on human energy. So it was very hard for me to have the discipline to get up in the morning and work and to even do it in the afternoon. It would make my whole day. I'd slow down so I won't have to reach work. And I'd reach obscene, like, ways of procrastinating and... Um, Then I wouldn't go out at night because I'd feel bad about not completing my tasks. So that was one thing. And then I had um, me and my partner there, my, you know, uh, romantic partner. We were, uh, you know, just struggling with the move to a new place. And we were sort of in a new relationship altogether. So we had our hardships. And then, I mean, Gigante uh, throws some curveballs at you as well, does it not?
0: Oh, yeah, we talked a lot about it last episode with Scott Stevens, and just you're it's 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 an environment that always keeps you on your toes,
1: yeah, 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 um yeah, on your toes completely all the time, and it's a form of constant awareness that you're in in Nicaragua where you kinda almost become like on this soldier mindset,
0: you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good that's a good point and a good term I would say because I did grow to be very like uh, vigilant about certain things, especially like locking up my safety, just because not that I felt like people were going to do me bodily harm, but it it became such a hub for tourism and that attracted also a lot of the unsavory types who were there to take advantage of people who weren't paying attention. So. 100%. And you you always had to be on your toes because if you wanted to keep your your iPhone or whatever phone you had, you couldn't take your eyes off it. You know, if you're sitting on the beach in a bathing suit at a bar, like you can't leave it on the bar and go to the bathroom. Like it's gone for sure. Yeah, yeah, seconds. <sighs> yeah, but I mean, you. So that's just really cool, actually. Thank you for sharing this because you kind of discovered that you know maybe the digital nomad life, where you know a lot of us solopreneurs who are sitting in hotel rooms around the world for eight hours a day. Um, a lot of them who are posting these pictures of themselves working on the beach, which is complete bullshit, um, you found really isn't the best optimal productive way for you to work.
1: No, not at all. It's really bad for me, really. And, um, you know, I did more of that. But every time I was doing it alone, it was really bad. When I actually got a partner here in Vietnam to work with, um and we started working together and even you know just hanging out and working it was great and we had a we had a fine time working you know but alone was just horrible it, it was completely opposed to the reason why I went abroad anyways right mm. it'd go to be alone <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that's cool. You kind of discovered that about yourself and uh, were confronted with it and, and dealt with it. And now you're you know, living a, a wonderful life, it sounds like, in Vietnam. And before we touch upon that, though, I mean, you also discovered what… Yeah, ac- can I, one second, Jay. Yeah. I, I want to correct one impression
1: you left about us working from hotel rooms. I don't know where you were living in Nicaragua. I actually do know where you were living in Nicaragua. You were living in a beautiful room, but I don't want anyone to imagine like a four-star hotel.
0: Yeah. No, I was generalizing just the digital nomads in general around the world are usually living in like kind of a a makeshift hovel, if you will. (laughs) You know, like uh, rooms that they get on Airbnb, rooms that they find in in private homes. Um, Yeah, I was living in a beautiful home in Nicaragua. I had an AC office. Uh, but as I hit the road, I was definitely sitting in more hotel rooms all day with a, a makeshift workspace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was hanging out in like my friends who'd visit me cause I really enjoyed like really simple houses there and my friends who came to visit me were like a bit shocked by how simple, but for me it was everything I wanted
0: yeah simplicity man it does it it makes a huge uh, difference in one's life when it's uh, not cluttered and complicated yeah um, all right yeah sorry you no, it's all good you found uh, I don't know if you found it there but acro yoga became a huge part of your life is that what I remember
1: yes acro yoga you know how yeah acro yoga I owe my health my social progress that I made in my social life, so many of my connections I owe to that incredible activity. Um, basically, yeah, I I, um, I was lucky enough. Uh, I was I was dating Hannah at the time, and she, uh, you know, when we first met, we found that we are both into acro yoga, and just we knew that we never had to think of an idea for date night anymore. And I met her in Boston. And we went together to Nicaragua and, you know, it was, we had all the time in the world to just practice acro and teach acro. And it was just so nice. And you know how, by the way, if I speak too much about acro, let me know, because I could go on for days. Well, first
0: define acro yoga for the audience, because I think there's a portion of people who have no idea what you're speaking about. So
1: first off the bat, a good 30% of you think we are saying aqua yoga. We are not saying aqua, we are saying acro, (laughs) so acrobatics, acrobatic yoga. Um, Acrobatic yoga is pretty much not really a branch of yoga at all, in my opinion, although I'll get some people upset by saying that. Um, I did that before I ever, ever did yoga, all right? Maybe I did one class somewhere and found it very boring. And then, acro yoga is usually two people, but could be any amount, where they form acrobatic positions together. Um, usually, one is laying on their back, picking the other one up using their legs and hands. And I recommend just any of you to just YouTube acro yoga, and you will see people doing some incredible stuff. And uh, one more thing that I'll say. Um, that I want all of you to remember. It's incredibly fun, incredibly easy. It gets fun from the first class. There is no frustrating learning curve, which is almost uneducational. And um, then it's really fun from the first class and it's incredibly healthy. It saved my knees. It made me get back to play football, uh, what you would call soccer maybe some of you and it's, it's just incredibly good. It's it's amazing what it does to you and and to your mental state as well. It's so uplifting.
0: I've, I watched you guys practice, and I was always impressed with some of the stuff you are doing. Uh, I'm curious, though, like how it would save your knees. I mean, I, I looked at a lot of the positions you guys were in. Um, and what is it, just stretching in ways that you can't normally stretch?
1: So what it does, I, I was playing football just like you, soccer. Mm-hmm. And um, I lost a piece of cartilage, I guess, because one time after a game, my knee started swelling hard, and I didn't feel any pain at the beginning, but, you know, I got the MRI, they're like, there's a piece missing of cartilage, yeah. I mean, you have a few options, but I was under the idea that I was never going to do like contact sport. I, football? Does that, Is that considered contact sport, football,
0: uh, like soccer? Uh, not in the American sense, but yes, I would consider it a contact sport. Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so I was like, I could never do that again. I could never cross over, you know, side to side. And um, acroyoga, well, I first went to physical therapy where they told me I need to stretch my hamstrings as often as possible and to squat as often as possible, which are two of the most unnatural things to think about doing in your day you know like stretching the hamstring you have to completely bend over towards your toes it's not it's not like stretching your chest where everybody does that or your neck or you know Um, and then squats are the most horrendous exercise anybody ever came up with it makes no sense Um, so i wasn't doing any of that you know i was for the first week and then i was like all right i'd rather just never heal so (laughs) um uh, by the way people in real life tell me that they can't tell when i'm joking and when i'm being serious so i guess tough luck i'm not gonna remember to explain so Uh, but i was joking i I really wanted to heal and i looked for other things i could do and i looked for non-contact sport because it was a time when i was really health conscious i was eating very right because it was right after friends from israel confronted me about being gaining a lot of weight in the u.s so i went on a vegan ketogenic diet which was incredible for me and i was um, climbing i went to the climbing gym and in the climbing gym they offered a free acro yoga class that i started participating in people actually didn't want to practice with me all that often because i was a bit big look no, I, I never thought of myself as a big person but Um, And yeah, I I was completely determined. It looked too easy to be true. And I got into it more and more. And what it does, it, it just, as you base, you're laying on your back and you have the other person on your feet and your bum touches the ground and your heels are directly over your bum. So you're 90 degrees bent, right? Yeah. So it really works on your hamstrings. It really stretches them. And many times you have to go past that 90 degree or... You know or you just use it to go past and and then and then you squat all the time you just lift the other person with your knees and you you know you lower them and you raise them up again i got to work with big people i don't know if you saw but like i basically take i never had someone that came to me and wanted to be lifted that i said oh no you're too big for me never had that happen mm-hmm. i'd always take on big people so like it creates super knees and i i went on hiking and I was like, yeah, just hiking really well. And I was so happy. And none of it came out of any form of like discipline on my end. It was just like, I did what I liked doing.
0: Wow, that's really cool to hear. I want to say, go back to what something you said where your friends confronted you about being overweight. What was that like? I mean, you're Israeli by birth and Israelis have a reputation of being very blunt and direct people. Um, what was that experience like? Can you share that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we, where I grew up, I grew up in a tiny village. I was one of the few kids, like one of two kids in my year. Um, and I was, uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't stick around. They'd like their families would move to ours, but they'd leave after some time. So at some point it came to be that I was the oldest boy, which was very strange. In your community. Yeah. I mean, it was all I knew, but I knew it wasn't right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's clarify that just for the audience, because I know what you're talking about, but they don't. You grew up on a kibbutz in Israel, correct?
1: So we're going on a second tangent. From the fat to the kibbutz, let's
0: remember that yeah, trail. Of- we will. We'll get back to that. But yeah, I think it just... Are you like with a pen and paper? Like, Yeah, I have it all yeah. written down right here. Oh,
1: yeah. I'd love to see those notes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I should... Right, so kibbutz is a communal agricultural community in Israel. Uh, goes by the ethos of socialism, and, uh, but a more utopian sense of socialism. Communities are between 50 and 1,000 adults, you know, where mostly they're like two to 500 adults, I'd say. Um, and I lived in a tiny one. We had like 40 adults when, when I grew up. And um, it was very a very innocent place to grow up in. You'd Any adult that would scold me for anything, I'd listen to that and respect that as if my own dad told me to do something or not to do something. Wow. They'd never cross each other in front of you, really. You know, like when they do, that's good gossip.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, then... Yeah, it was we had no we we wouldn't deal with currency over there. You wouldn't feel what money bills or coins are. You'd have no sense for it because you just you know, most of the spaces and products are completely non-commercial. So you enter the swimming pool for free, you eat at the dining room for free, you pick up groceries for your house for free, like produce. Um you get everything is free and just you know, um The community just shares everything. And then we had a shop that was open for like one hour on Monday or maybe two hours on Monday and two hours on Thursday where you could get candy. And my parents would just go, yeah, you can buy any three things you want. And the first time I bought like a toy airplane, like a big one, a watch. I don't even remember if I got candy at the end. I only wanted like (laughs) the biggest stuff they had there. And then they were like,
0: no, we meant you can have like three... Like a chocolate bar, and you know. <laughs> but if every how are how is your parents making money if if this was a completely barter system?
1: So, um, the, the the system. Well, people the 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 community itself would make money through agriculture.
0: Oh, so you'd sell the agriculture out into selling
1: our produce. They'd have also a hospitality business. They'd have different ventures, most of them unsuccessful. And um, they'd have um, a lot of them or some of the members work outside the community bringing in their salary. And then the community buys what it needs. And then it gives the members a budget that is the same budget for everyone. And it's all calculated by criteria. So like if you have four kids, you get more. If you have one kid, you get less, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it's a budget, very modest. And that's, that's what you live off of. Uh, anything like, a con- life is not very consumeristic at all. Like, you know, for your birthday, you might go to a movie and like McDonald's, but that would be a very special day.
0: Okay. And then when you'd go to the grocery store to get groceries, like, did they have your name on a list and then like a certain amount of things, items you could take? And that was kind of your rations.
1: So it went through a few phases. Um, At the beginning, everything was free for everyone. That was before I was born, right? Everything was free. That was the whole idea of the community and with time bits and pieces became like more privatized or more, you know, like uh, accounted for by individuals rather than the community. So Like at some point they stopped giving away free cigarettes, right? Okay, like that crazy Mm -hmm. Um, and Yeah. So when I was there, um, you could get, I think vegetable, I think was free. Milk was free. Flour was free. Rice was free. Pasta was free. If I remember correctly, sugar was free. Maybe some of these items weren't free, but many of them were. And then, um, you'd go to the store to buy like your vice, your cigarette, your ice cream, you know? And, um, that they would just write on a sheet and it would be deducted from your parents' account. I, by the way, for the record, I would never buy um, cigarettes there. I wasn't a smoker as a kid. So I'm still not. <laughs> I'm
0: glad you noted that. Thank you for that.
1: <laughs> no, it's just because my mom might listen to it. And I know, I know, like, you know, when, when your child is abroad, you're like, what, a, what parts are true? What's going on? You know,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and you don't want to like shake the whole world view of someone, and, and there's no need to because I didn't smoke as a kid at all, and yeah. I still didn't
0: smoke cigarettes at all. Yeah. Well, this is a really interesting point that uh, not the cigarette part, but just the kibbutz part. Where I mean, it sounds we like we still need to get back to fat. Of course, we will. I'm sur- going to circle back very naturally in a minute, but I want to dig a little deeper about your lifestyle growing up because it sounds like I mean you were very sheltered in a way. Would you agree? It's-
1: Extremely sheltered. We'd walk barefoot. We couldn't wait for spring to come so we could like just walk barefoot And our as the Sun would get warmer our the soles of our feet would get Thicker and thicker to the point where we could step on nails and not feel it, you know, because everything is so clean Um, all the people there everybody knows everybody and in extreme cases the community has the power to make anybody leave Okay. But that, that um by the community exercising that power, but it happened by people just realizing it's not, uh,
0: it's not their place anymore, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Does that community still exist today? Is that where your parents live? They live
1: there. Actually, here, I'm going to do my first plug. Uh, the community was hit by a pretty bad fire not too long ago, and um, the, the village is called Kibbutz Ha'el, And there is a website uh, to make donations. Six families lost their houses in a big fire. The community had to be evacuated. They could only return after like more than two weeks, maybe even three weeks, because there was too much asbestos in the air from old buildings. So don't procrastinate on removing asbestos because once there's a fire, you can't go back home. And if you live in America and you have to find a place for three, four weeks, even more, because we had the government help us rid of it, so you're you're screwed, so you have asbestos best to sneer you, get rid of
0: it mm-hmm I mean, just can you give us the lay of the land as far as visually what i mean I'm for some reason visualizing you guys these like nomadic people in the desert <laughs> i mean what was what was the surroundings like? Can you describe? was it trees? was it like a river?
1: Israel is pretty much half desert, and then another quarter is kind of like hilly and green and beautiful like olive trees and pine and whatever and um and then more up north so the, the most south is always the desert somehow and then you know in the middle it's kind of middle way um but also jerusalem to tel aviv so it's like more hilly on one side and more beachy on the other side and then up north we have like it gets cold you know it actually like there's places where it snows and you can ski
0: so and so where were you Where was your kibbutz located
1: in the middle, we're right between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, right where the heels of Jerusalem start. Okay. Um, and, you know, if you want to image, image pine trees, image, there's another tree that I can't remember what it's called. It's it's kind of like a, a taller version of the Christmas tree. Like a cypress. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm not even going to bother looking it up now. That's
0: okay. I mean, I... I remember taking a bus from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and I can very clearly visualize. And I'll put maybe a picture in the show notes for the, the audience. Um,
1: people, say, people say it's really beautiful, but I can say that I was – you know how they say beauty must be shared? Mm-hmm. I was too alone there, I think, to really appreciate how lucky I was in terms of the nature around me. I didn't get out much because I didn't have many people to get out with.
0: Yeah, I mean you, you said that you were the oldest male – like at a lesson, I'm assuming at and one the point. The
1: oldest person there was my older sister, and between us, there was nobody. So,
0: and so, like, that means what? You were like a 13, 14 year old kid, and all the other kids were like six, five, and six?
1: They're not five and six, but they're 12 and below. Okay. So, by the time I was 13, is actually the time when the, the two last kids that were older than me moved to the U.S. And, um,. Yeah, so I loved the kids that were younger than me, but they weren't give me, giving me everything I needed, you know? Yeah, social stimulation was a little bit more childish. And uh, yeah, you could you could probably tell. Like, I never skip on a conversation
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> you're just eager to fulfill all those years of loneliness and, and silence.
1: Dude, it's, you know, you're a reflection of your childhood, whether you like it or not, and you could be a few different reflections of your childhood and you can tweak it but there is just so much unconscious void that's being created from different experiences that then dictates so much about what you'll be busy thinking about
0: <laughs> yeah now it's a good time to circle back to uh, your friends coming and confronting you that you were you're fat mm-hmm.
1: so And and it does connect well to the community because these friends are from the community or from communities like mine. And these are very, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I I get too imagery at times. These are like, we'd call it Spartan communities, but please don't imagine anything ruthless. Um, We were not really hit ever. Everybody were pacifists. Um, a lot of like draft Dodgers, which in Israel is quite unique to have a lot of those in your community. Um, or not, I don't know if a lot, but more than in other places. And yeah, what happened was we were, we'd be all living in the same house, all the children from three months and up, we'd all be living in the same house.
0: Oh, yeah. Talk to the audience about that, because you didn't sleep at home with your parents, correct? Like you had your own house that you went to every night. Exactamente. So please describe to the audience what that means.
1: Every house in the community looks pretty much the same, and it's very minimal. There is a bedroom. There is a living room. There is a kitchen. And that would be it. So families didn't really have children's houses, like children's rooms, I'm sorry. Um, because the burden of raising the kids were was on the entire community, and it was it had many reasons. Some of them ideological, some of them just financial at the very beginning of the movement. But we were no longer under such financial distress that we needed to live that way. But it was we with ideology and uh, things like that. Um, they actually removed that from. Um, they removed that, um, children's houses when I was five, I think I was five, maybe I was four, maybe I was five and a half. I don't remember. And then we moved into our, into our parents' house. Can you imagine? We were already three kids in my family and we all, at some point, like they're going like, Hey kids, now you're going to be living in a house. Just you guys.
0: was that a good thing or a bad thing? So it sounds like from what? What year – was it literally like year one when you were born? You were living with all the other newborns in another house or was your mom – I don't want to
1: just say because I don't want to just um, uh, you know make anybody feel
0: like I'm – but I think it's
1: three months. I think from the age of three months and then the parents pick you up at 4 p.m. Um, and they can hang out with you till 7. And then they put you – they bring you back there and usually the parents shower you and dress you to go to bed and then maybe they'd watch like a late, you know, like whatever kids watch with their parents um, or used to when people were watching TV, you know, and then yeah, off to
0: bed you go. And, and then, so they walk you to this, uh, this house where all the kids live and there'd be like one house mother kind of tucking everybody in at night.
1: No. So the parents would tuck people in, but it would be in rotation. No one would keep the same job forever. Everything would rotate and a lot of the jobs wouldn't even be jobs. So like, um, many of the, you know, many of the jobs, they would be like, you would do that on top of your job because you'd have to do it. It's like community commitment. So it doesn't matter if you run the factory, you also have to go and wash dishes for everyone or be a night guard. And then there was, yeah, we had a night guard and an intercom, but mostly there I don't know that there was necessarily an adult in the building.
0: Jesus Christ. So you're two year old and there's like it sounds like there's not adult. You just put your they, your parents put there's you to intercom. bed. There's an there's intercom.
1: intercom. The night guard the night guard is awake and alert. So I guess it's better than most situations, you know, like most parents are asleep
0: when their kids are asleep. So Dude, that is this is so fascinating. I mean, it sounds so like uh what you would see in like this very communistic Russian movie. You know, the kids are living in these like dorms with like all the other kids they have cut co- like intercoms where they have to cry for help
1: <laughs> so the only thing is i think i was extremely lucky to grow in a community of that type i only wish i had more people around and many of my friends had more people around and a lot of us are extremely proud in that system and are happy for a lot of the things it gave us and one of them was being a bit like a bit tough you know Like, you know what it's like to sleep away from home. Um, And that was just the beginning, like the children's homes, you know, and, and you know what it's like to be in a, I don't know, like not, not be anywhere where like you can just go to your mom to comfort you, you
0: know? Absolutely. I think there's some tremendous amounts of value in that. Um, I didn't mean to sound like I was disrespecting the way you you grew up. It's just.
1: No, but that was connecting it to the fat one. Yeah. So if there was a fat kid, right, you know, like anywhere, like anywhere in the world, fat kids were having trouble. Short kids were having trouble. (laughs) When you're a kid, you basically learn pretty quickly that it's best to be just tall and strong. So yeah, I was, um, I was never fat. I was always like, you know, I was a bit short, but I was, I was never fat. And, um, Yeah, I was uh, the 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 physical thing that people would laugh at me about would be I'd have really bad skin condition, like extremely bad. It would call it would be called atopic dermatitis. It gets better at 27 or 28. It got better, and now I don't have it. But I was bleeding from the inside of my elbows, from my neck. You know, like it's an itch that no one can resist. If you ever talk to someone who has it, you just know that you telling them to not itch is all right, but they can't resist it. Uh, what they'd really appreciate it if, if you dare to touch their skin, you know? Sorry. You wanna make them feel good and like get them emotional, just touch their skin, make them feel like they're not gross. So I had that and um, we were laughing, people were laughing at me about that all the time, all the time, all the time. And you know, I just thought that that's the way the world is and I would just take it and if it was a good joke, I'd appreciate it, you know? <laughs> and I grew a pretty thick skin, get it? And um but I was I was I had good jokes. People wouldn't really dare to get under, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, a match with me all that often. Sometimes they would, especially if they were stronger, but um when when it became less popular to have physical fights and it would all, all it was all about your ability to whip with your words. I was yeah, you know. I was I was liking it a lot, just going back and forth and getting each other annoyed. So yeah, we'd point, we'd be very blunt, as you said earlier, extremely blunt to the point of great faults, I think. And, um, I had more sensitive friends that have expressed to me that it's too much. And I just, I didn't realize what was, why, what's their perspective? Like, why is it so hard? Obviously the intention is good. So what if I'm talking about your extremely awkwardly shaped head, you know? We're just all kids trying to have fun, but it's not the way it goes, you know? it's It, it took me a while to realize.
0: That's really interesting that, I mean, you were able, because you obviously had a, a physical sort of appearance that a lot of kids would point out, and you're uncomfortable physically also because you're itchy all over, and somehow you're able to internalize it in a way that, Ah, you know, like I get it. This is kind of funny at times. Sometimes it hurt more than others, but you grew that thick skin and you moved on in life. Where, as you noted, other kids couldn't get past it. And, and yeah, you... and
1: laughing at me was a sign of affection. Mm-hmm. It was a sign of affection. Very rarely was it someone who didn't really, in some way, seek being close to me. Like they'd want don't get me wrong they'd want to get social points on my expense and there would be people around and they'd be laughing but at the end i do feel like it was you know like little little cheetahs just playing with each other you know and and um i would be like yeah that's that's my cross you know that's what i carry and um i wasn't ostracized because of that i, I or yeah it was fine like i was i was in, I still felt included
0: um, i think it's a it 's a point that a lot of people who come from especially the Americas and they travel a bit in Central America around the world, and you know they they hear friends and relatives as they start to become closer in the culture that call each other fat and you know fatty this fatty that, and you, well, you fat start,
1: shame.
0: yeah well, we consider it fat shaming, but as you just pointed out, you and these people, it's more affectionate. Like when, you, when you're called you know, fatty in Nicaragua for Gigante, for example, it's like it's, your, it's the people who love you the most and it's more of a term of endearment and affection. And it sounds like that's kind of what you internalized when people were making fun of your skin conditions, like more affectionate, like, oh, there's the skin guy or whatever. There's Gil, the skin condition guy.
1: Yeah, they'd call me scratch card, you know, like the ones you buy at the 7 huh. Scratch card. And that was just like, oh, well, they love me. You know, it was really funny. Yeah, it was not, not exactly. You know, it was much better when they used to say, oh, you scored a great goal yesterday, you know, that nice. So it wasn't, it wasn't all roses, but it makes you tough. And it makes you not back away from someone just because they throw an
0: insult at you. Um, you still can be their friend. And, um, so when your friends approached you in Boston and said, Hey Gil, like you're fat No,
1: in Boston, in Boston, no one no one would tell me I was fat. That's how I got fat, because it's Boston. It's like no one would tell you. And uh my girlfriend at the time, oh my god. Yeah, she was great, but she never she never said uh she never she she always said she said you could you could get more into shape if you wanted. <laughs> and I'd be mm-hmm. like, Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I could. Uh,
1: I like <laughs> It wasn't that negative reinforcement one requires. Oh, not one. And again, I'm, I, you know, I'm talking about body issue, body weight. And I know for some people it's very sensitive. And by the, by this time you got it that I took a lot for my body and I, uh, I'm not sensitive. So I might be insulting to some of the listeners that have the most horrible um, weight conditions one way or the other. And I, yeah, I don't even know that I could feel your pain, but I want to apologize in advance. I was, getting, I was getting fat in Boston and I didn't realize, and I couldn't see it in the mirror. I didn't realize. I was looking in the mirror and I looked the same to me. And one time I went back to Israel after a, maybe a whole year that I wasn't home and the first person I met just started laughing. I think my parents also were like, they, they pet my belly every time I, they would, when I, if I would have a belly, they'd, you know, they'd feel it whenever they see me, especially if they see, don't see me too often. Measure me, and that would probably be their first comment, like you look fit or you look fat, you know um are you still there
0: I'm still listening i'm I'm loving this, Gil this is amazing um describe describe them that, yes, yeah, so then what what shifted you're like, oh, I'm fat now let's get fit
1: no, so I go back home and I meet my first friend who's like a brother, I think it was Yoel or something, and no, it was Sam at Yoel's house. it wasn't yoel that was his brother and he just sees me. Dude, I don't remember which one of them saw me first, but whoever that was, he saw me, and he burst into such laughter. It was Yoel. Yoel saw me first. And he laughed so hard, and he couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, what's going on, motherfucker? Like, And he goes, yeah, you're just so fat. You're incredibly fat. You're huge. You're fucking fat. I bet none of your clothes fit you. You're fucking, you know? And... And then I'm like, fine, well, that's your opinion, dude, you know, like, okay, and then the other brother walks in, and he looks at us, and his face is kind of frozen, and he's like, being really cool, and he's asking, are we already laughing about this, is it fine? And he says, he gives him the nod, like, yeah, it's fine, and then he just falls on the floor laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And then pretty much everybody I met in Israel were commenting about my weight until I started having a lot of fun with it. So like a friend of my family would come to me. He's like 60 and he'd be like, hey, man, uh, like you gained some weight. And he'd like even tap me. And I'd be like, no, I didn't. He'd be like, are you sure? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm actually skinnier than I was when I left. <laughs> So now <laughs> just you just really them. awkward for them. Just make it really awkward for them. So, uh, if any of you have any condition that you're you feel awkward about, just remember you have the power because you have, you can rehearse it because you'll get comments all the time anyway. So, you can have best comebacks and you can make it so awkward to them that they would never do it again. Um, so it's fun like that.
0: Wow, that's cool. How did how did you get to Boston from Israel? Like, what what took you to the states?
1: Oh, my God, man. We had Americans in our village. They were always so proud of themselves. Like Israeli Americans, they weren't even the the American parents were not so proud of America, but the children were so and, and, and it's not like don't think about American patriotism or anything like that. Just think about consumers goods. Think about PlayStation. Think about movie releases coming early. Think about Disneyland. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying proud of in a way that appealed to me, where I thought, that's the real, that's where humanity is at its peak, you know, that's where it's all happening. That's where computer games come from. That's where everything I look up to comes from. That's where it's at. So as a kid, I was so fascinated, NBA, movies, you know, popular culture, anything, politics, anything I could get my brain on, And, um, yeah, as a kid, I had a lot of interests in different things. Basically, um, I first went to the U.S. to work um, selling uh, Dead Sea cosmetics at a mall in Arizona, which was the most intense experience of my life to that point. And it was so intense, I could never imagine any part of my life being more intense than that. How is that intense selling Dead Sea stuff? Dude, you don't even realize it's a window to such a culture, mostly not the American culture, but the culture of the Israelis who go to the U.S. to make a killing. These guys are wild. So it's
0: highly competitive, it sounds like.
1: Highly competitive, but not like you compete to get a job at Google. You know, not that type of competition. Uh, a much more explicit in your face kind of like you know there's a lot there that I didn't see for myself but there were rumors you know about the business apparatus and how they roll and it's
0: uncomfortable stuff man I mean like can you go deeper into that cuz this is something that's just super interesting to me like you're, you're selling salt from the Dead Sea is that what I heard you say yeah and you get to Arizona because you're on, like, a work visa or you have an American passport? I
1: get to Arizona because I get a work visa from this company. And then... I would... A lot of people go and do it illegally, but I was... I, you know... There is a word in Hebrew called sachi. That's that's one of the... That's probably the most important thing I could tell you about Israel and about Hebrew.
0: And what does that translate
1: into? Sachi, the literal meaning... So I think it comes from Arabic, like any good... Um, Whatever, <laughs> our best words are from Arabic, our best food is from Arab countries, and uh, it's, it's a great cooperation we have with, uh, with the Arab world in so many of the fun things, and hopefully soon enough uh, in many more things, and we're gonna just be playing football with each other all the time and having a laugh. Yeah. So Sahih to me, when I first learned it, it was from my friend who, smokes, who used to smoke weed when I was, was not smoking, And I'd be critical of his smoking and he'd be like, you're a Sachi, you don't understand. You're someone who doesn't smoke. But then it really evolves the meaning of that word because when you're a Sachi and you're like a white Israeli Sachi, the system is always in your favor. The system always favors you. Cops are meant to protect you. The military is meant to protect you. Everything is meant to serve someone who grows up in a demographic like you, right? Because there's the rich people. They're just the rich people. Like, okay, they're whatever. They run the show. But then there is like the poor people. No one ever says like, oh, we need to really make the poor people's life so good that they wouldn't be poor anymore. But for like middle class white people, they actually go, oh, no, we're going to make the middle class life so great and so amazing. That's like the mission of everyone is just to serve us. And that's at least how they portray it. so you have no altercations with the system until you smoke weed. back then, talking like many, many years like twelve years ago when he was smoking, he was smoking way before but but it's very illegal, and you can get into a lot of trouble. so like you'd finally start to like look at the system very differently as a system that doesn't necessarily serve you, and then you'd find all the places where it doesn't serve. Different groups or doesn't serve anybody, you know So Sachi is someone who's who's kind of like thinking with the system, you know
0: kind of blind to what's really going on around them
1: Yeah, I was very left-wing I thought I was very critical, but I thought the system was kind of like working really well um in some ways not in every way, but I thought yeah, I didn't realize all the structural problems and how deep they are um, anyhow the um yeah I I, oof, that was a tangent, wasn't it?
0: No, that was just fine. It leads nicely into I think what you're about to explain with uh, the selling the the Dead Sea salt right. in Arizona. So I, get,
1: I get yeah, so I get to Arizona on a work visa because I didn't want to be illegal in the U.S. because I was like you know the U.S. So
0: soggy, or whatever it's like.
1: <laughs> yeah I was Saki Saki yeah and also being a Saki has to do with liking America I think
0: oh, okay so, nah,
1: never mind. But like, it was so, um, so yeah, I was, I I was really excited to get the opportunity to go to work there. Um, and, and to get a visa working visa was like too good to be true. I was on my way to make a lot of money. I still remember the interview at the embassy and every step leading up to the process and getting on the plane and thinking, ah, this can't be happening. You know, I'm going to America and then landing in Arizona. If anybody here hasn't been to America or hasn't been to Arizona, America is how I imagine. Like, Arizona is how I imagine America. Phoenix, to me, is still the most American city I've ever been to.
0: (laughs) No way. Why?
1: It's just so much these movies. Like westerns. No, not westerns. I'm talking more about just American drama, American comedy, like... You know, from American beauty to American pie, like all of that range. It could all just take place in Arizona, no problem.
0: (laughs) Okay, this is so cool. Go on. Dude,
1: Phoenix, Chandler, Scottsdale. Oh my God. Everything is big and everyone's like, they talk about the same things the people in the movies talk about it really felt like I was inside this place that I was imagining that was America. And it was crazy. And I loved every second of it and I'd be so hyped on it. We'd work crazy hours. We'd work like 12 hours a day, easy more. We'd work 13 hours a day during like really high season. We would drive to and back from work and we would live like at least two people in the same room during high season. Um, And um, it was, we were encouraged to just work our asses off selling cosmetics. So you, you learn the sales pitch and you do it again and again and again and again and again. You lure people in close to your kiosk and you do the sales pitch, which I still recite to chosen friends. And I have a lot of fun doing it. I still remember it. And uh, it's funny, they say Israelis are meant to remember their, uh, or Jews, their bar mitzvah, whatever, whatever they say. But I don't remember any of that, but I remember my sales
0: pitch. Is it long? You want to share it with us right now? Go ahead. You would fucking die, man. <laughs> Give it to us. I, I kind of want to put the video
1: on for you. But, now, uh, here's
0: what we'll do. We'll do, we'll do this. We'll, uh, we'll record it after the show, and I'll put it in the show notes so people can click and see your sales pitch. Sure, sure.
1: It was, dude. I learned how to sell over there. We remember. I grew up not using money. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was it like to have anybody selling something to me. People in the kibbutz were extremely reliable because they had nothing they could get from you. And then you're all of a sudden you're at a place where somebody passes by and you're being told what you want is what they have, and you want to make them want what you have so you can make an exchange. And it get I remember the first person I talked to. I do the sales pitch because I did memorize it, and then I wait. And he doesn't do anything. And I'm like, What? <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Like, I'm done. Let's look
0: at each other, you know? And what happened? Did he just like walk away or did he get the sale?
1: I think I tried to block him with my body or something, so I wouldn't go am no, joking. I didn't try to block him with my body, but yeah, not no, it was just miserable for both of us. And then he went He probably felt a bit sorry for me, but not sorry enough to buy my product. It's not like I was missing a leg, you know. Um, Anyways, then I learned how to sell. As a salesman, you never stop talking, ever, ever. You lose that mechanism of I said enough. And you come up with another mechanism of freestyle saying things Really fast. It's psychedelic. It's like you're channeling something. You're channeling the spirit of the salesman.
0: And the point is what? To like prevent them from thinking so you can have them just like hypnotize them to pull out their uh, checkbook?
1: Every defense. Crush every defense. Every form of resistance. Just verbally. Crush it. Go past it. Diffuse it. Call it what you will. They buy to make you shut up
0: okay i see interesting that's an interesting like uh, approach but i guess that's that's kind of been the approach for hundreds of years
1: dude i learned that in america so thanks everybody
0: (laughs) so yeah i mean that sounds like since everybody was kind of giving the same pitch highly competitive and you obviously were probably making commissions i'm assuming so you were elbows up ready to like fight it out with your words dude we made so much money we made it and
1: it's great, but it's not. It wasn't the most ethical way of earning a living for me, you know. Just pushing people and buying products. I wanna, I wanna actually discuss with people what they need, what they actually want. I don't wanna be telling people what they want. I feel, I feel like there's correction I need to do in my life, probably for that time as well. Like saying, like a, you know, correction sounds like correction facility, <laughs> but like. <laughs> But I, yeah, I don't need to be doing sales.
0: Well, it's interesting, like the whole model has shifted now, especially with, you know, the online game where everyone's advocating, you know, find out what your audience needs and then fill that demand rather than trying to push upon them. The... You know
1: something funny, Google, what it is, is a public bargaining platform. The public inserts the search queries it desires, And then the suppliers find that trend and go like, let's meet that demand. So like enough people go like blue basketball Nikes, even if these shoes don't exist, if basketball has good analysts, it should pick up on that and be like, all right, we better start producing that. How crazy.
0: Yeah, it's wild, dude. I mean, the, the whole system is being turned upside down and no one really knows how to deal with it.
1: I was thinking about creating a collective bargaining website. And then I was like, just now talking to you, I'm like, Google is a collective bargaining website. Just search for your dreams on Google. And they'd be one step closer to becoming a reality. Because I was an analyst for a company. We'd look at every mention of some projects because some projects would have no mentions. So it's really easy, actually, to communicate with a brand if you're looking to do it. Um, now in the digital era uh, much easier than to write them an email is to just tag them on your posts or whatever and they notice it right away
0: so theoretically you could you could rig the system to like have multiple IP addresses coming in with the same query to make put the pressure on them to produce something random
1: yeah do you think that's going to be a crime at some point like like it is to like run
0: stocks between people um, that's a good question. I mean, I think we're we're venturing into an era where there's going to be things that are occurring that are unethical. You know, like uh, front running in the stock market that people used to do when they were like trying to when they could literally beat the uh, the buyer to the sale, and they were just front running all these like buy and sell orders. That's how it goes. Um, let's fast forward now to like Vietnam and your digital nomads like experience. When how long have you been on the road now? I don't know, just kidding.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um I've you know I went on my on this Arizona that was 2000 and late 2009 I think then I traveled Latin America, went back home for 8 months, went to school in Boston in the US for 4 years, then went to work there for another year and a half or so, and only then I went to Nicaragua, so that's already like eight years of not really being at home very often and then last year i was at home for a whole year between march and march and then i went to vietnam here i am now um so that's how long i've been on the road so it's kind of it's not as straightforward i guess maybe rarely is um and yeah i got here thanks to a good friend from nicaragua for uh, lucille do you
0: remember her I don't. Not off the top of my head. If I saw a picture, I'm sure I would.
1: Yeah, she's a friend. She was volunteering. She lived with me for a while. Um, And um, she, yeah, we were talking. I was in Israel. I was not happy. And we were such good friends. And she was like, you know, come to Vietnam. Vietnam is a very good place for you. And I was like a bit skeptical because you know how in Nicaragua you need to be like such a good entrepreneur in order to make things Yeah, you know how in Nicaragua like it almost feels like nothing's working in your favor. Yeah It's really easy to get discouraged. Correct in Vietnam. There is no excuses It is money's on the floor on the floor. It's insane You can be anybody and as long as you have some level of You know, what do you call it some some motivation even the smallest?
0: Work would just find you. What do you say? A chutzpah? Is that the right term? No, down?
1: no, no. That's the thing. You don't need chutzpah. There's very few Jews here. I'm pretty much the only Israeli in my community here. There's, there's more Israelis, but there's a very tight community of teachers. And, and there are they're people that I became friends with. And a teacher in Vietnam makes like 20 bucks an hour. I think a lot of people might hate me for sharing that with the world.
0: Um, no, it's been talked about. I've had others on uh, who've discussed yeah, the money that they're making in Asia, maybe not Vietnam specifically, but um, I mean, is that what you're describing? Like just the fact that you can make 20 bucks an hour as a teacher is the money on the ground? Are you talking about entrepreneurial yeah, that's, I mean, endeavors? That's
1: money, that's money That's money. on the ground, but also the economy that it creates. It creates the most prosperous community that I've ever lived in. The most prosperous and and, and and the one that has the most welfare that I ever saw. So it's not just prosperity, but it's also welfare. They have a lot of free time. There's a there is like public spaces around here in this neighborhood. Really good food that you can buy for a dollar. A vegan buffet with all the, you know, different things you'd need. And they're they're crazy for vegan protein here. So whoever is like, a a vegan that requires a lot of protein, come to Vietnam. That would actually be a good thing. there is, yeah, I think mean, just the most incredible food i'm I'm the best I eat the best that I've ever eaten in my life, and I feel so strong here that it's insane. It's like a very what they'd call now a lot of the travelers they'd call it a healing space, although you have to let it you have to let it happen to you. you can't you can also resist it and then it would like erode you and yeah, because, you you know, Hanoi shouldn't be, it's funny, Hanoi shouldn't be described as like this calm, tranquil paradise, right?
0: No, yeah, I mean, I was just there, and we've had a lot of people on the uh, on Misfits and Rejects recently who are living in Vietnam, and Hanoi specifically is one of the coolest cities I've ever been to in the world. However, it's also one of the most polluted air quality-wise and the most dangerous if you're riding around on a scooter, in my personal opinion yeah it's
1: mad it's mad but it's so trippy that you get in a trippy state and you just let anything be and it's and it's so good like the vietnamese are are just incredible people um you know i only know a little bit about the culture here from the four and a half months that i've been here um but you know i try to learn in a way that's good for me and make connections and um the, something really striking is that whenever I look at the face of a, of a local here, not so much at the office where I work now, to be honest, but like in the street where you'd see people that are very likely came from the villages. If you see someone in the streets of Hanoi, maybe they sell fruit or something and you look in their eyes, they have the most relaxing look on their face that it immediately de-stresses you. It's like they're like, walking like they have they have the effect of like any mental anything that would have a mental effect on you it's like just looking at a vietnamese worker or that sounds a bit classist but looking at they always work though they always work just looking yeah in the eyes and they're just calm you down
0: yeah it's the flow state i mean i I tell now that you speak of it there is a flow state happening in vietnam as you watch people literally drive against traffic in, on their scooters go through red lights without even a, a second thought they have their child on the scooter without a helmet they don't have a helmet and they will literally blow through a red light without a concern yeah <laughs> and the food is is healthy like i felt super healthy as well there um um, you mentioned you're in an office now. Like, what are you doing?
1: I started working for a Vietnamese conglomerate um, that does the biggest project in Vietnam. It was completely by chance. As I told you, they constantly look for people to work for them here. Definitely, people with uh,
0: college educations are highly prized within the different the different sort of working opportunities in Vietnam. Like all the episodes I did with the. The expats in Fong Ya talked about how the first question that they they were asked during the interview process was like, where would you go to college? Or, Do you have a degree? And that's literally what mattered the most to a lot of the employers was if they had a degree. And, and it was very easy for them to get a job. So it sounds like just through your network of being there for four months that you were approached to have this really interesting new opportunity with this conglomerate. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, I was just here. I was just by the way, I completely spaced out on you, so when you said, Is that right, maybe um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I was reading I was reading a text from work, so um, so why and, did you
0: transition to corporate then I mean, you were working as a teacher so
1: yeah, I was offered full time as a teacher, I was actually really nervous about teaching, but I grew to really like it because working with children, you know it it it's um they actually go to school to learn it's actually their chance and you want to you know as someone who feels like I I really took advantage of 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 the chance I had to study and I feel like I could give them that spirit and my most important asset was just thinking that I can do it obviously I had other things going in my favor and people were encouraging me a lot and that's why I was thinking that I can do it so it's not just me being strong or anything like that but just me being encouraged and and being told that I could do what I want to do and if something interests me, I should pursue it um, and hopefully, you know, not, not gets these ideas and not every kid is encouraged. So it, at the end, you're like at a space where it's, you're just, you really get a chance to, if you, even if you just come for one class, they can really remember things you told them. I, I remember things from people I met once as a kid and then there's also, you know, they start teaching English from two-year-old, like, and up. Okay. So you go into a class of two-year-olds, 8.30 in the morning, they put on a song on YouTube, a song and dance, and you're just meant to sing and dance with the kids. Like, how great is that? For 20 just bucks makes an hour. Yeah, it just makes you feel so good. You just go like stomping in the jungle, stomping in the jungle, you know, <laughs> singing the ABC song, dancing with them. They're so happy to see you. You're like Mickey Mouse for them.
0: It's amazing. But it sounds like you had some um, apprehension. You were concerned about your what uh, English teaching skills. No, kind
1: of... actually, I was very confident about teaching English. I was just like, I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to. Teach kids. I didn't want to be around them. You know, I was like, it wasn't what I was looking for. I didn't want to hang out there. I and, see.
0: Um, and so now you're working at this conglomerate. What's your role within this conglomerate? And, and they're the biggest builders in Vietnam, you said?
1: My business card says business manager. Um, I'm introduced sometimes as a partner, or it depends. It's, it's very cultural here, the different ways that you're presented. So it's, it's a bit more fluid, I think. But basically, it's it's a marketing role um, but I get to learn a lot about heavy industries in Vietnam, which is incredible. So I get to visit factories and lead clients through factories. I have to learn well enough and I have, I have um, uh, you know, I work with a, lo- a local translator. She translates uh, what I say. Actually she knows what to say better than me, so she actually corrects me. So whoever whoever gets her version probably gets a better version. And she's she's incredible. She's new, and I'm struggling to pronounce her name. So it's it's gonna be pretty hot. No, I should. If I yeah, I no,
0: you should. Don't, you don't have to yeah. say her name. Um, so you are going around these factories, and like, the, it sounds like you have to do homework. Like, how much how much information you're trying to cram into your brain before you present these?
1: Nah, nah, it's nothing crazy. It's more like I have to capture and pass the spirit of the company, which is. It's a very interesting company. It's a family company that grew to be a 2,000-people company. They create high-risers. And uh, I said they have factories, but they also have educational programs. Like, and they're partners in, a, in an international school. And they produce booze, and they produce purified water. So incredibly ver- verified like portfolio of companies under that one company. And... Um, what I need to do is to just let them know the ethos of our company, which is it's a company in Vietnam for very cheap prices that um, has real European standards. So all the machines are imported directly from Europe. They're being made in Europe. And it's really important to our uh, board that this is how things done. And then the factories are planned with European engineers and European supervision. So it meets these standards that they have there of like, you know, safety, efficiency, cleanliness, you know, and then we have, we keep in touch with European experts. So it's, and, and the companies is still making profit and is going to become one of the biggest ventures in Vietnam. And they're only set to grow bigger and bigger. So I should say, you guys, if any of you has any liquidity now, if you've been successful in misfits and rejects, and you're looking for an opportunity. Vietnam grows at steady 7% a year. And if Vietnam grows at 7%, it means that this is the average. It means that the urban centers grow a lot more rapidly. And the Vietnam top 500 companies grow at a 20% rate every year. So if you're looking for an index or if you're looking for a direct investment in anything, don't be shy. And uh like... Yeah, I'd happily connect you with my company, it's the least I can do for them and for you. So um and they they invest in real estate, but also they are an industrial company. So any needs you have, they produce anything from like heavy construction material for any project for piping and cement and um and they also produce bottled water and booze and they um yeah, they'd invest in anything good, but they'd also partner with anyone good. So um, and 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 lead investments, so if you're
0: looking for for opportunities in that field, feel free to reach out I mean this is just blowing my mind, Gil, that you've stumbled into this I mean it sounds like i mean if you stay stay committed like you could you could have a very early retirement
1: <laughs> yeah in in Vietnam, in Vietnam, you can save if you're looking to live and retire in Vietnam. It's like playing life on easy mode in some ways. Um, And, you know, why not? Hopefully it happens for more places and more people. And, um,
0: yeah, it's really that great. Yeah, so what's your uh, long-term plan? Are you going to stay for a year or two? Or are you just kind of going month by month still? What's what's the plan?
1: So I'm not connected. Like, I could leave at any point, right? I don't have any, any... I don't have kids here or you know, anything that I couldn't just leave, but I love it. It's a great space for me. It's, um, I love the community. I love the local community. I do a lot of new activities and there's many activities where I'm the only Westerner there. And, um, and I get to hang out with locals, um, started doing, uh, Osho dynamic meditation, if you know what that is.
0: Yeah, so let's. Talk, I want to talk about osho real quick because we had a um, in Nicaragua. I don't know if you met her, marati She was an older French lady in her seventies. Was she
1: doing osho dynamic in Nicaragua?
0: No, but she did it in Canada for two years, and she didn't speak for two years.
1: Dude, it's the most. I yeah, it's the most incredible thing I've ever done in my life as a as a, as a physical activity, and I highly recommend it. I know osho is controversial, but you know what? It's just a practice, and osho is dead. So. Um, You can do the practice. It's incredible. I don't know anything about Osho. I I didn't make it through the first episode of the Wild Wild Country. Hopefully at some point I do. But yeah, genius, genius, incredibly genius. Did she break it down for you, what it means, what what the exercise is? Because I've broken it down like 30 times in the last week for
0: people. Why don't you just do it for us again? Because she had a thick French accent and I got the gist of it, but I think it'd be better if you clarified.
1: But I want to hear her describe it with thick French accent. Because you have to understand, I've done it for eight straight days and she's done it for two years. And I talk about it the way I do. So it's kind of like if you did acid once and you talk about acid, but you really want to hear what the person who's done it 200 times has to say. So anyways, um, it's one hour. You arrive at 515 in the morning and that's important. OK, remember, 515 in the morning. I'll get to that. Um, so you take your motorbike there. Vietnamese people are extremely early to get up and exercise. There's a lot of people exercising at that hour in the morning. And um, we go to the park and we, we we climb on the gate. And when I say me, the first time I went there, it was me. And it's a four meter, maybe five meter, what's that in feet? Like 15 feet gate. Yeah. yeah. We climb it, me. Then the teacher, who's another man, and then about... 15 Vietnamese housewives ages 30 to 40 and even 60.
0: Climb over a 15-foot gate.
1: Yeah. yes, like it's no big deal. Like, you know, kind of like talking to each other as they do
0: it, you know. <laughs> is it like a chain link kind of gate that you can like – Yeah, yeah.
1: It's just not open at that hour, you know. And <laughs>
0: Okay. Go on.
1: They're all very athletic. Everyone in Vietnam is so athletic. It's incredible. <laughs> go on. So then – um basically they explain to me what it's gonna be because it's my first time and then for 30 seconds or so there is a discourse by Osho that's recorded and he says dude I want to imitate him so badly but I know it's now considered wrong to imitate people but I imitate all my friends all the time and I'd love to but I won't but he has uh, he has uh, a discourse about how to to position yourself to be able to find the meaning of life, to put yourself in that position, you have to introduce intensity into your life. Otherwise, you just can't. And he's very encouraging. And he has this way of like building up when he talks, like it builds up and it sounds like the most convincing thing ever. He's the best salesman. So um, then the, the beat starts, he stops talking and really fast beat starts. And You're standing up and you're barefoot in the middle of the park with your eyes closed and you're told to only breathe through your nose very intensely and chaotically and move your body as intensely and as chaotically as you can. And it's for about 12 minutes going strong, as strong as you can, only inhaling through your nose. And before you've done Osho, many times, many people's noses are very clogged, but they still tell you only the nose and we... Even if you feel like you're fainting, even if you feel like you're dying, trust yourself. You can do this. It's fine. Nothing nothing bad is happening. So you just got to let go. So you do that for 12 minutes. Then you choose one emotion. One. And you're being told to focus on it and express it by sound and movement as intensely as you ever did. I remember the first time I went to a demo of this. Um... It was before I joined this, but I chose anger. And it was so powerful. It's like a time machine. It's like getting into your own time machine. Because as we grow older, we become more and more subtle. And we don't show our emotion as much. We learn to hide it. So when you go back to these expressions, it's like smelling something you haven't smelled since childhood. Only a different part of your brain, like... And it's incredible, 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 incredible. Um, then the next thing, after 12 minutes of that, you have to start jumping up and down every time landing with your gradually, but with your putting your whole foot on the floor. So it makes it a lot harder to jump this way when it's not just your tiptoes touching and getting up. Um, and You have to get your hands up in the air, and you're not allowed to put them down. So your hands are pointing directly upwards, which is really difficult to maintain. And every time you touch the ground with your heels, you have to release a really loud noise. And they say you should release it from your sexual chakra. It sounds like a loud moan. And we're all doing it in the middle of the park eating off of each other's moans to go on while it's really hard for us. So it, you can imagine what it sounds like. It's quite the sight. And actually my teacher has he posts this on his Facebook as promotional and the students are completely fine with it. I don't think he I don't think he uploads the moaning parts very much, more the dancing parts and stuff like that you know it's still like anyone can go by and we have no idea what's happening we're with our eyes closed having an out-of-body experience right Mm -hmm. so it's so intense you don't stay in your body it's just so intense You jump up and down you go and there's beat and and you're not in there and and it's more than the fastest sprint you ever ran and then kept running you know like when everything's on the line it's more than that it's 12 minutes of intensity what sport is played for like 12 straight minutes with no break, you know, on like high intensity, high intensity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not many, not many. So um, it's like, and when I say break, yeah, football, you get to rest once every two minutes in football, right? In soccer, yeah, right? The ball, the ball is away and you can catch your breath. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, and, and then after 12 minutes of that, of just jumping and moaning, They go freeze, and you're still not allowed to put your hands down, but you freeze. And this is when it comes for you, which is really amazing. It's a little bit like DMT. And um, I think I read on a Facebook comment that sounded very convincing that, you know, so that's the level of seriousness I take my research at. Um, (laughs) I found... (laughs) Somebody wrote in a very like authoritative way that it's very likely that DMT is produced in the lungs um, at times of darkness, because that's when we have melatonin that hasn't gone through this other process, and then um, we uh, when it meets whatever other molecule in the lungs, then it becomes DMT, and we get it when we dream or whatever. So it really felt a little bit like DMT for me.
0: Um, which is and yeah the the result the ultimate result is what enlightenment like what are you trying to achieve through this practice
1: so you're yeah i think i my goal why i was doing it it sounds funny to say to achieve enlightenment but if i'd have to say would you use that term achieve yeah i would because i'm not looking to be smarter than anybody else but i'm to have a perspective that's going to allow me to not even consolidate, but consolidate the idea that I don't need to consolidate the secret of life, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I think a lot of this journey is about breaking out of my own body, feeling myself. Okay. To be just with everything or with nothing at all. um, and really finding what's beyond this perceived reality that we think we know so much about, you know. Yeah. So man,
0: that's... you change, brother. I mean, <laughs> 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 you've—I uh, can just see in, in the vibrance that you express yourself in—that you've you've come into a very content peaceful place within yourself, where in Nicaragua, I did see those struggles you had daily, you know, mentally kind of berating yourself for maybe not achieving the workload that you were meant to achieve, and you're a lot lighter and seemingly uh, happier, if you will, in, within your, yeah. your own skin.
1: And you know something, again, it's, it's almost everybody here is like that, hmm. because it's, it's the proof that when you supply people with their needs... On a high level which is not a high level like it's not like people spend too much money here as teachers they make a lot but they don't even if you make five thousand dollars you're not going to be spending more than like you wouldn't be living lavishly it's just not the culture here you know right like of the teachers everybody's very modest you have no it's classless it, between the teachers obviously it's very classless between the teachers and the vietnamese And there's some classes in between the teachers. Obviously, some come from wealthy families, some come from poor families. But the day-to-day, you have no idea how much money anybody has. You have no idea. And it doesn't matter. And everybody helps everybody out. And it's just really nice, friendly environment. 99.9% of the um, meetings here are so rewarding and, and pleasant and positive and Parties are amazing because everybody's friends with everybody.
0: And it, it's incredible. I mean, I think you just convinced a lot of the people listening that it's a good place to at least uh, get their teaching credentials for and fly to and give it a shot, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, so if, if any of you would like to talk about this more with me, I have no pro- I like talking to people, and I like giving information I have for free. So, um... If anybody wants to reach out about anything in the world, if anybody just fell in love with me through this conversation, don't be shy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so can I put your uh, Facebook connect- connections online or uh, your email? I think
1: uh, it would be just best if people would just reach out to you and yeah. you
0: – is okay. that okay? Yeah, that's that fine. A- yeah, we can do that. They can reach out Here's to me I'm, and I'll connect you.
1: Assuming assuming that someone would, I'm creating a point of engagement for you, right? Like in yeah. digital marketing it's a good thing
0: like I'm plugging you in absolutely so, plug me into that and I'll, I'll get I'll cut them connected don't mention it
1: don't mention it Chapin
0: <laughs> um, one last thing Gail I'd like to ask everybody you know for a listener out there who literally just you blew their mind with this incredible story you shared with us who connected with it who wants to get started can you uh, impart some wisdom upon them to uh, help them take that first step or what would you say to them
1: do more drugs <laughs> perfect <laughs> find out, find out how broken you really are. And um, I'm not saying do drugs to escape. I'm not talking about cocaine and alcohol necessarily. And I'm not talking about necessarily weed, but I'm talking and I'm not even talking about necessarily anything that you eat or ingest in your body, even if you think you're perfectly fine see someone who can tell you a little bit more about yourself. And it could be a sweat lodge somewhere in Mexico or it could be a therapist or it could be some ayahuasca ritual or whatever it is. Try to find out more about yourself. Um, It's amazing how much we keep from ourselves, about ourselves, how much we hold in how afraid we are of who we are and how much we need to let go of these fears that we have about ourselves. And the only thing that really helps is, is hitting the ground really hard. And it doesn't need to necessarily mean that you would be broke or have no friends, but it means to facilitate experiences of intensity where your mind goes to sleep and
0: your senses sharpen that's what you need so that's beautifully said dude i mean i i this whole episode for me has been just so energizing and um and exhilarating to hear you describe your life vietnam and and the things that you've encountered because you have done a lot of soul searching gil i mean i knew you for the time we spent together in nicaragua and i mean i know you're on a path of searching internally for answers and it's incredible to hear where you're at and and see the new gill. I love it, brother. Congratulations and thank you for coming on Misfits and Rejects.
1: Yeah, better not let it stroke my ego too much. That's dangerous. Um, so, uh, yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I was nervous about this. Um, I know that, uh, yeah, it was, I like talking, man. So, again, people who are interested in one of the following acro yoga, acrobatic yoga. Living anywhere outside your country, living in Vietnam, living in the US, living in Nicaragua, living in Israel, traveling in Europe, giving workshops, digital world, whatever you want. Um, um, investments in Vietnam apparently is a thing now in my life. Whatever you want. And actually, you know, Chapin, I didn't talk about the most interesting thing I'm involved with right now. Which is what? Maybe it's for the next step. No, I'm joking. So, the most, the most the, my dream coming true right now is so in hanoi there is this really when i i'm sorry i'm i'm adding another 10 minutes to your program
0: that's all right dude do it okay okay
1: (laughs) you know i've I've been on some tv on some journalism like you're a true journalist you know what i mean oh thank you because many times what they do you know how they say a real journalist should give the um interviewee, enough rope to hang themselves with. Okay, I've never heard that. So that's what Joe Rogan does. Okay, he makes people—he makes people like pretty much confess. He's a priest. Yeah. Only, he, only he's public, and then, and then they're gone. So, so what I'm saying is, um, you actually listen to everything we want to tell you. And uh, I've been on me on the media before, and for them, it's like, can you give us a buzz in five seconds? So. Yeah, you're doing actual media, man.
0: Thanks, dude. So what's this new path, your, your new passion?
1: So it's not a new passion, but it's, it's, it's crystallized into something that I can now see. And um, it's, there, is, there was a festival here when I just arrived. Like I was maybe one month in, and we were all very excited for it. It was in the middle of the jungle in a place with a lot of environmental art and All the promotional material looked incredibly psychedelic. And, um, you know, we had no idea what's coming for us. No idea. And I thought it was just going to be like, all right, if I tell you there is a festival in Nicaragua and it's organized by Nicaraguans, what are you going to think of? Loud music, right?
0: Electronic, yeah.
1: Loud electronic music and not necessarily like the environment that you'd be looking for to like have the most amazing experience you could have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just. I'm sorry. I don't mean to shit on Nicaragua. I had some of my best parties in Nicaragua, but um,
0: maybe not the they're... most well organized. We'll say that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the musical choices. You know, we'd have a party in in, in Camino with great music, but then sometimes the music in by the pizza place up there, mm-hmm. or whatever. Sometimes the music wouldn't be as good elsewhere. But I loved. I loved every place. Anyways, whatever. So. Um, yeah, I was not, I was not looking forward for too much, but I was like, I'm going to be in the nature with a lot of friends. So that's going to be good. I started making friends by then. And, you know, we went to the festival and it was a great world. And, uh, dude, it was, it blew my mind entirely. That valley is crazy. There is so much art. There is the biggest standing penis in the world. there, 36 meters high inside it. There's a ladder with, there is. Six bedrooms inside that penis.
0: <laughs> okay, dude. Now you got my attention. Let's talk about this. So, this is a festival. Or is this like a, an art valley that you just described, or both? Like, it's, so- it's
1: both. It's both. It's it's a permanent art valley that's been established not too long ago by this incredible performance artist called Dao An Kang. Um, I'll give you his details or whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna
0: put that in the show notes for sure. And he he is
1: a performance artist that has the most incredible life story you've ever heard. He used to be an art censor for the secret police. So he used to be the kid with the finger in the, in the, um, in the dam, right? Mm -hmm. You know that image? Yep. So, and, and instead of water in the dam, there's provocative art, right? And that kid, that's this secret policeman. Every now and then has to look what it looks like. He feels it with his finger, right? His finger touches it. He's connected to it. Maybe every now and then he changes hands, right? A little bit gets out. Gotcha. And then he sees it, right? He sees sees what he's censoring. It takes over him, man. It took over him. He became a person performance where you cannot tell apart. The art piece from the artist. Wow. You just cannot tell it apart at all. He's an art
0: piece. Does he speak English? Can I get him on the show?
1: He speaks great English. He's been on the New York Times. He's been on the Wall Street Journal, and I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you. Beautiful. And there's a full time documentary about it, like a full, you know, a full feature
0: documentary about him called Artist Police. Oh, we got we got to get all these in the show notes for the audience. So why is this now your new passion project?
1: So he. Um, That festival was incredible. The music, there was a lot of noise music. Have you ever heard noise music? I've never heard it before.
0: I've heard something similar, like electronic, just like noise of clinking metals and like weird shit like that.
1: Everything is broken. It's like being inside a broken machine while someone is like doing that Ace Ventura thing with a knife and fork over the plate. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so weird, man. And we're all tripping and his transforming in front of our eyes to like and there is like maybe i don't know how many thousands of people there there's different versions to that story so i don't want to get into that but more than 2000 i think by any stretch um and they just fucking he goes on stage and he says in vietnam a third world country he says to everyone i hope everyone here makes love to everybody he's a guy with long hair guys here don't have long hair he's He's very feminine in the way he carries himself almost. And he was at the most intense part of the show. There was like a really long show and it's all on Facebook recorded. So you can watch the whole show with great sound and a lot of drone shots of everything. So so it's actually a really good watch if you're just hanging out at home or whatever. Um, And we will put that in the notes. And he's hanging off that penis wearing red, and like, what does Superman have? A gown? Is that a gown? Oh, uh, he has a cape. A cape, right. So he has a green cape and a green bodysuit, and he's hanging off that 36-meter penis, and and like, that's the most intense part of the show with all the music, and they're starting to put stuff on fire, and I'm looking at my friend, and I'm like, oh, and also my roommate was on the ball sack of that dick, <laughs> and she was... He told her just where, he gave her something to wear that looked very ritualistic. And she kept being handed torches, like red flame torches, you know, the ones that in soccer stadiums in Europe. Yeah, like a flare. Yeah, and she'd have to move with them. She was moving with them like she was tripping, as if she was really, well, as if she was pretending to be tripping and not actually tripping. So... And yeah, man. And then he goes and dances with her, and I'm like, "Is he gonna sacrifice her? Is that what I'm witnessing? Is this bigger? Am I have? Am I like a little fly that entered like, like a plant that was gonna consume me? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, they burned a lot of shit there, like a lot of stuff that was meant to be burned for the fire show, but it didn't look safe at all. So I. <laughs> I thought I might not be getting out of here. Um <laughs> and then yeah, man, it just the party was awesome after that. And there was later on we discovered like a hidden Psytrance place, so that was the easy part. Um took some great acid at some point, you know, like completely went out of our minds. And um And then we were completely overjoyed with that experience. It was incredible. It showed us that a Vietnamese can teach us a lesson. You know, it showed us how much we don't know how powerful some people are. You know, I felt like I was a part of his manifestation. Like I was something that he invited there and I didn't really have much to say about it, which was crazy to me.
0: So is this something that like you re- you have repeated since then? I guess I'm confused as to like when you started this, you were saying like this is your new thing. So is this like
1: that yeah, I'm giving you the exposition. I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting carried away with the beginning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. I love it. I'm just I don't understand how that like the Osho thing I get, that sounds like a routine. Um, but this this sounds like a no. So with experience. this
1: guy, with this guy, I actually in that party we only had a connection for like a few seconds when he came up, down from the penis and danced with people and did this incredible contact dancing and he took me from everyone and started dancing with me and looked in my eyes and completely tripped me out. I was seeing like a spirit, not a person, and even talking about it like I'm seeing something. Like it's insane. And um, really powerful dude. Like wow, what a spirit. So yeah, then we weren't in touch or anything after that. But I would, he would be a common theme for conversation here. I'd right? imagine pretty interesting dude. And um, yeah, then they would host events in, in in a hotel that they have in Hanoi. This is this one's important, Chapin. I'm sorry, I'm taking so much of your time. Do you need to be somewhere soon?
0: No, no, go ahead, please. All right. Cool, man. Hold
1: on. So listen to this. Um, um, he has a hotel here that he built, which is inside the city. They're able to charge 10 times the price of a five-star hotel in Hanoi and still get customers. Okay. He, he enjoys a celebrity, but it's not that. It's that every room is an art piece like you wouldn't believe. It's all on a tree inside the city, but it feels isolated and it's in a tree house. It's called the tree house. Everything is on a tree. That's a theme, huh? Between these type people. They live on the trees. You know who I'm talking about.
0: Uh, I don't actually clarify that. What do you mean? Like, I'm talking jo- about Captain right? John. Yeah, okay. Man. So yeah, you're referencing John. I've
1: been talking about?
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> the Misfits and Rejects I, of the world.
1: Hi, John. Hi, John. Dude, John is like you know, you do the communications for Misfits and Rejects. Uh-huh. He, he does, in a way, he has a
0: very central role to the operation of Misfits and Rejects. Yeah, he's the embodiment, in many ways, of the uh, archetype. Yeah, he is
1: a trip. So, the embodiment of the archetype, I love it. <laughs> All right. I'll make him aware that you said he's the embodiment of the... He knows it. He thinks that about himself anyways. Yeah. He hasn't seen someone crazier than him in too many years. He needs to make it to Vietnam. John, come to Vietnam. Meet crazier people.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like you're still involved with this Vietnamese guy and you go to these parties in the hotel.
1: So, you no, know, I went to one party and I was offering... Um, what's the word? When you offer... I was offering a gift to people. Okay. I was like, I'll give you an acro yoga therapeutic sort of like uh, session, like right in front of everyone, like by the dance floor with everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know how you get someone. It's really awesome. Acro yoga is a very powerful way to like give people stretches they would never have otherwise. And um, yeah, it was it was really cool. And a lot of people tried it. And it looks very impressive because they're on the air, on the air hanging from my feet, and I'm just tossing them around and something I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to do. And, you know, I, I, I was there. It was an incredible party. One of the best parties I've ever had, which is a recurring theme in Hanoi um, it's transformational stuff here. So we go and um, the next day, Jesus, I was out of money. I was out of money completely. I spent everything at the party. I was completely, I, I was so happy, but I was completely out of money. I had no money for water. My parents didn't really want to hear anything more about any financial strives. Like, (laughs) it was a pivotal day in many ways. It was a day when I realized, all right, I'm gonna do cover teaching for English. Like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna just go head first and just do it. And um, I had to walk to get my bike for like seven kilometers in like the Vietnamese sun. And I had to walk a lot in the morning to get home because my bike wasn't with me because it would have been irresponsible to ride in my situation. So I was thirsty and hungry, like, like Moses in the desert, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> looking for a place that would take a credit card in Hanoi, which is like cash city. So... <laughs> I learned now. If you're out of money and you only have a credit card, I learned, I learned the strategy. So if you need help, let me know. We'll go into that later. So fucking I get there to the treehouse and to take my bike. But he offers me tea. And we talk. And I, I think I talked to his daughter first and then to him and his daughter, Jenny, who is also really awesome. And both of them are two of the most incredible people I got to meet here. And I got to meet so many incredible people here. Um, and um, yeah, at some point I was giving him an acro yoga therapeutic session and he really liked it. And I showed him also how to do some basic acro yoga, I think, which is a really elevating thing to be doing, to be flying, shaping. Mm-hmm. You never took a chance, I think.
0: I never did. No, I will. I will I'll find somebody, yeah. So are you in LA?
1: Yeah. Go to the jam. Do type in AcroYoga Jam Los Angeles. It's free. You don't need to participate. You just go there and people just informally it's a meeting of the community, people doing stuff and more experienced people show other people. And you know, you you can talk to people. A lot of people I wouldn't recommend that. I'd say go to a class, but you can talk. You don't mind it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, he got really excited and we kept, you know, we, we were friendly since. And then there was a time now and I was sort of like figuring out what I'm going to be doing for the longer term. And, you know, I didn't know, and there were a few opportunities and, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. One of them was this big company and one of them was another one. And, um, like teaching. And I I went to see a friend who's really smart to help me figure out what I'm thinking. And then we finished our conversation. I was like, let's go to the tree house, man. So he went with me, Paul and I went to the tree house and Paul is just an amazing dude. And when I was thinking about how I want to do things, I was thinking, I really want Paul involved, like as I was thinking, because I was like, look, who am I going to talk to? I'm going to talk to Paul. So if he knows so much that I trust him with like a very important decision, that i'm making now that's going to impact my near future why not just have him closer you know
0: yeah so
1: i had this idea as i was writing to him because he's just such an incredible person and um then we get to the tree house and we talk to khan the artist and the daughter jenny and you know and and they tell us yeah we we want to start a hospitality business in where we're starting a hospitality business in the valley and i was so ecstatic about it because I had I had a a visual for it. I had it was in my head, you know, because I was really inspired by Inanita.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Gaia, Gaia, Gaia is on the episode. We'll bring her up. We'll bring her up and put her in the show notes too.
1: I've never been in. Okay. So Gaia, Gaia was actually I was I was always kind of intimidated with mm-hmm. Gaia.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: didn't know if she liked me or not. I I knew she liked Hannah a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know if she liked me or not. She can't. She, she was nice a few times, but like I didn't feel like. Um, and then, but I was still really inspired. But what by what she was doing, and and I was also really interested in someone not just being nice for the sake of being nice. I thought that was cool. Like it's a it's a nice emotion for me to have. It's a good opportunity for me. Like you know, that's that's cool. I get to like just try and soften myself to that, and. Um, Yeah, and and the people who went to Gaia's place in Anita, they would come and visit me in Zopilote. I'm sorry, these names don't mean much to most of you, but they would come and they would have a look in their eyes like they're flying. Mm -hmm. They are in heaven. Not necessarily heaven, I'm sorry, because I know people go through stuff there and it's it's a challenge. Um, Let's explain what Gaia does. Do you want to do
0: it? No, I have a whole episode of Gaia, and she explains what she does, and I'll I'll just put that in the show she notes. Has, she
1: has a she has a transformational space.
0: Yeah, in Nicaragua on Ometepe Island,
1: right, where people go in order to transform, and it's very holistic, and it has to do with all facets of humans and nature and um, sexuality, sexuality and. And different it's but also they, they invite experts from around the world to provide just transformational experiences in different fields yeah um, so what I said earlier about my tip for anyone is like look for transformations in your life look for transformations that's that's the the, 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 the nomadic lifestyle requires a lot of that um, and it's really fun once you learn how to enjoy it mm-hmm and a lot of really smart people facilitate that. So, anyways, I told the artist in Nicaragua or in, in Vietnam, we're back in Vietnam again. And I told him, let's have a transformational center. And he was open to the idea of having a transformational center. So uh so he got me involved, and like I bring in workshops now, and I I'm hoping to get to live there, and I'm hoping to you know, hang out with, um, just invite in like experts from around the world about transformation, but also live around a transformational community that we're going to have there that's kind of similar to the model that Inanita has. So actually, Gaia and Paul and anyone that has anything like that, I'm very interested in talking to you and learning from you. We're starting very soon. Also, any one of you that offers a transformational experience of any sort, any sort, martial art, hiking, survivalism, stuff to do with the psychic, anything, reach out. We're looking to fill out our program for this year. We've just begun. We have a few incredible workshops planned. Um, I'll be leading an Acro yoga workshop together with Paul, and he'd be leading. like he's, a, he's an incredible life coach. That's happening at the end of August. Um, And then there is uh, Erin, who is an incredible, um, what word should I use? She's like, she's a healer and she uses sexual energy to work with groups and individuals. And she's leading a seven-day transformational workshop there late September. Um, There is another woman here that does sacred ceremonies. Um, whoever knows what I mean knows what I mean. But these sacred ceremonies, even if you're an atheist, they would be sacred for you. I promise. I promise. You, <laughs> hey, you don't need to believe anything.
0: Gil, so is this Paul from Nicaragua that's going to come at the work? Table?
1: No, no, no. It's it's a different Paul. It's, oh, okay. it, oh this, it, is
0: it, your, this is your friend, Paul.
1: Dude, but... Gaia and Paul. Hey, how about you guys just show up whenever you guys are away from there? Just come here instead of San Marcos for one season. Mm -hmm. We'll have a fire season and a water season. We have a lot of, um, they have a great marketing team. They're very reliable. And the two of you, you already know what to do. So reaching out, Paul and Gaia. If you want to talk to me, I'll be happy to do any work.
0: Well, let's talk about this because this is really cool. What you've what you've just kind of touched upon, what you've got going. So you have a. Now you're now involved with this transformational sort of retreat center in this valley in the middle of Vietnam, and this schedule sounds like what what what's happening in the next uh, six months.
1: So we're basically going to have we're going to have a community there of people um, that are going to be living there on a voluntary basis help out a little bit, but mostly be in charge of maintaining the ambience of the place as transformational. So like whenever a tourist shows up, they already have 10 friends, you know, because these people, that's, that's what they came there to do, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to enable the tourists to like get into it. But when a tourist shows up, it's for a minimum. So I want ultimately like in Anita to make it for a minimum of seven days. Maybe we'll start with a minimum of four or three days, but we're not looking for daily stuff.
0: Right. This is an experience that has to take a minute to soak in like seven days.
1: And we'll have like a rhythm in the community where every morning we have a morning activity and we're still putting together the list. It'll probably be like a combination of yoga, meditation, um, workout, um, different things, ceremonies, you know so it'll be a lot of different things in the morning then a breakfast that we'll have there there's incredible food over there a lot of things that the jungle provides um then and also incredible cooks as well and um and then yeah i mean in the in the noon afternoon we can have a workshop we can each do their thing depending on sort of like whether or not we have experts Mm -hmm. there will be artists in residency doing incredible art projects Um, we're gonna, in the evenings have like other activities. Um, it's going to be a place it's isolated. You can express yourself in any way you want. You know, we also, um, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it, that was my dream just to be in a place where I'm surrounded by people who are looking to make progress on their health together and support each other and acknowledge the hardships and, um, and, um, you know, be there for each other.
0: That's so cool, man. I mean, this is incredible for you that you've you know, put yourself out there for so many years and now this has kind of fallen into your lap and you've connected with uh, like-minded people in search of you know, similar sort of um, things. Can you? Are, are, is there a schedule like already up that people can yeah, go so check so out, like so a website?
1: We're going to start the marketing very soon and I'll, let's make sure you have it in your notes. Um, and it's, the place is called, uh, Troy Valley and, um, the, the people, the business is currently in the tree house in Hanoi. So if you Google tree house Hanoi, you can reach, you know, the, the artist or his daughter, uh, Khan or his daughter, Jenny, and they'll be happy to talk to anyone. They're really nice people. Although I don't know, you said you have so many listeners now, so
0: we'll see. Yeah, but anyway. I, mean, I hope this works out that people can come experience this because I mean, I'm mean i interested in coming and, and checking it out myself.
1: So listen up. They're interested in, in having people in their place in Hanoi as well, which is the most unique urban, urban hotel I've ever seen in my life. So check it out, Treehouse Hanoi. They're also actually looking to make a big renovation there, and they're now um, working with investors. So if you're an investor and you're looking to invest in something artistic with a cause, by one of the most incredible artists in the world from in my world i'll say but i think in the world uh famed artist um then you could reach out um and uh and i'll connect you with them because they're looking for a good investment if you know of ways to get good investments and you just want to help us connect us why not we'll be very happy and we'll be very happy to you know host us host you here and give you the best Vietnamese experience you could ever have and the most avant-garde experience, probably one of the most avant-garde experiences that I've ever became aware of. And then, uh, yeah, in the Valley itself, um, we're going to have a Facebook page and a schedule very soon and we'll plug them in the notes and you'll be able. So we have an event coming up late in August. That's me and Paul, acro yoga, and sort of like life, like tools for life. Cause Paul is really good with that. Um, then we have Erin, who's a lot more, she's uh, she spent a lot of time with Gaia, and uh, she brings a lot of um, transformational workshops that capture on sexual energy. Um, yeah, if you want to sign up for that in advance, let me know, that's gonna be late in September. Um, and she, um, what else? And then there's another lady that's leading sacred rituals, that might be mid-August, sacred rituals. Again, I'm not talking about just singing for Jesus. I'm, uh, I'm talking about plant medicine. Um, and it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, all, everything is legal. Everything is completely legal and according to the law, but just incredible stuff.
0: This is so cool, man. Thank you for bringing this up. I'm glad you did. Um, I'll probably, I'll probably make this a two part episode. But, um, <laughs> I think this is, you know, the coolest aspect of what you're doing presently in the sense that you really have seemed to hit your stride and found something that is, I mean, you speak so passionately about not only Vietnam, but this, this new enterprise. And I couldn't be happier for you, man. Thank you so much for sharing with us uh, your experiences in Vietnam and this new, this new project.
1: Yeah. And thank you. Thank you, Chapin, for being a part of it, man. An, An inspiring part. And, you know, I don't even know how big your role is really, you know, I'm sure I haven't acknowledged yet everything that you gave and will keep presenting into my life so man keep keep up man
0: well thank you my friend we love you and thank you for coming on the show
1: of course thanks so much for having me and i have to i'm sorry i have to take uh, one more minute i'm not going to name names but if you know who you are you know who you are because otherwise you're not that just kidding <laughs> <laughs> But really, I feel like so many of my friends, I feel a connection, even if I don't talk with them at all. I feel so connected with them through the multiverse. So you know who you are, motherfuckers. And yeah, it's what you think it is. And uh, reach out if you want to. Don't reach out if you don't want to. I still love you.
0: (laughs) You're the man, Gil. Thank you again. We love you too. Thanks, Jacob. Bye-bye. Awesome, Gil. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with me. I mean, growing up the way you did on that kibbutz is so fascinating and, and how you've developed your perception of the world, your perception of yourself, and now where you find yourself exploring that even more deeply in this valley in the middle of Vietnam with this very interesting sounding Vietnamese artist. I mean, can't wait to come visit you, dude. Thank you again for coming on. Again, if you're a first time listener, please pull out that phone at the subscribe button. If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can support Misfits and Rejects by either going on Patreon, and you can give a monthly donation of whatever you want, $1, $5, whatever it may be. It helps me out in continuing to produce this and the various apps I need monthly to maintain this podcast. You can also support Misfits and Rejects by buying a t-shirt. Um, you can go to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and get a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. All are super comfortable t-shirts and are printed on uh, Bella Canvas blanks, So I'm really happy with the quality of the shirts as well. So if you want to head over there and support Misfits and Rejects in that way, I really appreciate it. But again, nothing is expected. I'm always appreciative of you joining me every week for these new creative stories that I find out in the world and having these people hopefully inspire you to think about your life situation and make that change that you've always desired. So thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful and I'll see you next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling me was the wrong one, but when in fact it... It's the perfect one for you and I'll see you next time.